Mr. Speaker. You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Castagnetti, Rosen and Thomas. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. Thank you for setting your podcast out, 14th and G. I am your host, Dean Hinkson. Just reflecting on how every horror movie has that moment where our heroes breathe a sigh of relief, having driven a stake through the monster's heart. They turn away, they pat themselves on the back, and that skeletal hand thrusts from the rubble to claim one more victim. Well, Senate Republicans are feeling a little that way after a week that saw passage of the China competition chips bill with bipartisan support, swiftly followed by Senator Joe Manchin's announcement that he had struck a deal on tax and climate provisions for a reconciliation bill many had assumed was dead and buried. But this is not a done deal yet. House heads out to begin their August recess, uh, probably subject to the call of the chair to return. But the Senate is back for another week or more to maybe pass this massive budget reconciliation bill they've been angling for all year. So what's in store this week and beyond? Well, I'm joined once again by my colleagues here at the firm, Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas. We're going to break down 2022 in 22 minutes. Bruce, David, welcome to 14th and G. Thanks, Dean. Thank you, Dino. Good to be back. Uh, David, I'm going to start with you. Your fellow Louisiana Senator Kennedy said Republicans had just gotten rinky dude. He said that was a Louisiana term. Now you're from New Orleans. What have you ever been rinky dude? <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I'd been rinky dude, I'd be a wealthy man. <laughs> uh, rinky do is not a eating a ring ding. <laughs> David no. set the scene for us because this is uh this this was a big week in the United States Senate. Republicans had threatened to withhold support on the chips bill. It went through with Republican support. There uh, as soon almost as soon as the ink was dry on the vote, uh, Senator Manchin announced this deal with Senator Schumer uh, to include tax provisions and climate provisions in the reconciliation bill, making this thing close to a trillion dollars. But we still don't know where Senator Sinema is. Uh, we still don't know what the parliamentarians' uh, final rulings are going to be on what's going to come through here in, in budget reconciliation. There, it's, a, it's a parliamentarian's decision on what can actually be included there uh, under, the, under the budget rules. So what are we looking at as, as the Senate comes back and, uh, and looks to put this together? Uh, I, I think what we're looking at is the Dems, uh, for the first time in a bunch of months, have a little bit of spring back in their step here. Uh, it was a good week for the Senate Democrats, a good week for the Democrats in the House, and a good week for President Biden. And, and those have been hard to come by. It's been a rough summer here. But, you know, you asked about being rinky dude. I, the comparison I've been using is uh, for the first time in a long time, the Senate Democrats get to play the part of Lucy and not Charlie Brown. They uh, they pulled the football away from one Mitch McConnell. It doesn't happen often. Uh, we're, we're Dems are generally on the other side of his uh, tricks and maneuvers. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I will uh, now knock on wood uh, because it's not done yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're right. Look, the the uh, chips bill gets done. That's something that been, that has been worked on now for a year and a half in the Senate. Uh, gets through in the House uh, with bipartisan support here, uh, despite 
Congressman McCarthy whipping against the bill at the last minute because he was angry about the other bill. That gets done. That'll be a big accomplishment. And I think we're going to, you know, I think this week we're going to see that signing ceremony. So that's exciting. Then we'll turn to reconciliation. And that's going to be the the next uh, big thing this week that the uh, the Senate's going to try to move on. Uh, Senator Sinema hasn't indicated where she will end up on this. Uh, She said she wants to uh, see where the parliamentarian falls down on things before commenting. And and you know what? It's going to be it's going to be a touch and go all week. Obviously, uh, not just on a policy and getting to get it done, but also just physically having 50 senators available to vote. Thankfully, Senator Leahy is on the mend after a couple of hip surgeries, you know, but we've had multiple uh, senators out uh, uh, due to covid think all the Dems are going to be holding their breath this entire week, but they're going to try to get it done. I think the goal is to get a Votorama in, uh, you know, by Friday into Saturday morning and then uh, call it a day. Because it's a 50-50 chamber. You can't lose a single Senate Democrat uh, to get that. uh, This is going to be party line stuff to get that vote to the vice president to break the tie. Bruce, have they really outmaneuvered the master uh, maneuverer Mitch McConnell, or is he saying, uh, throw me in that briar patch? You want to jack taxes and spend hundreds of billions of dollars on Green New Deal uh, nonsense in the middle of a recession and sky high inflation? This is a great reminder that uh, of the old uh, formula to the meaning of life formula, which is happiness equals reality minus expectations. So as of a week ago, McConnell expected not only to have killed Build Back Better, which was originally many trillions of dollars, but he thought he had it down to the smallest possible number. And likewise, the Dems were busy, uh, you know, practicing in front of the mirror that it was indeed, in fact, a win. And our colleagues, DT, I remember you're telling me on one of our calls, this was a win for the Democrats, even when it was just the thin gruel of ACA and, and, and maybe some of the drug pricing stuff. Compared to where it started, McConnell did pretty well against Build Back Better compared to where he thought it was before the last minute. He definitely got, uh, you know, got judo flipped here at the end by, I guess, Rommel was the desert fox. That makes uh, Manchin the, the mountain possum, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but it, it's beyond that. I don't I don't know that McConnell starts with a I want you to do something that will have a long tail economic uh, negative. I, I do think this gives the Republicans, assuming it passes as configured, it gives them more talking points heading into the midterm. You have two quarters of negative growth. It's not a recession because it depends on what the meaning of is is. Um, we want you know we're, we had this telecom broadband stimulus, but we're taxing the telecoms more on this bill. We are helping the semiconductors with the chips bill which included some tax provisions, but we take with the other hand what we gave with the first. So, you know, I think uh, this probably gives some talking points for the midterms. That said, McConnell's issue is not talking points, it's candidates. You know, it, it must be Democrats in the White House and uh, in charge of Congress, because uh, my Republican colleague is once again uh, rooting against success uh, for the country here. Uh, the reports of the you know death of the Biden legislative agenda are greatly exaggerated. And now Democrats really have a strong uh, legislative agenda to run on in the midterms. You know, I, I I would argue that it is the strongest first two years for a president since LBJ. With the thinnest of majorities in the House and the Senate, President Biden will have passed legislation addressing the uh, pandemic recovery, infrastructure, the CHIPS bill, health care, climate, gun safety, and inflation. That is a heck of an agenda for the Democrats to run on. And so if Republicans, it used to be the party of Reagan, where, you know, you'd, you'd uh, 
uh, believe in America and believe in success and uh, uh, rooting uh, for the best outcomes here. Uh, the, what you just described, Bruce, is a, is a Republican Party who is rooting for the economy to fail so they can be successful in their uh, election in the fall. Bruce, Boy, that's, I think that's a Bruce, very surprised. That's you. very unfair. Gosh. That's not what I said. <laughs> prove, yeah, well, prove me wrong. <laughs> no, no. What, what I said was, and you made a good example. You're right. There's a lot of legislation there. But if Larry Summers thinks that the COVID relief caused the inflation, then the inflation reduction bill, in theory, you can say it's not one win for America, it's two. Or you can say we're trying to cut back the inflation we caused. Now, if, I am so glad if you calling up, if I, calling I, I, an inflationary bill is uh, is rooting against America. You know, gosh, let's let's deal with the the economy we've got. So I'm so glad you brought up uh, Larry Summers, who correctly uh, predicted that there would be inflation here. Uh, Bruce, you may perhaps you don't follow uh, Secretary Summers on Twitter, but he was one of the first ones to come out and say that this new proposal. Uh, will effectively address inflation and be good for the economy. He was consulted on the bill that uh, Manchin and Schumer have agreed with here. Uh, he obviously knows what he's talking about. I'm glad you agree with uh, Secretary Summers. Well, my point, DT, which since we all agree with Summers, is that Summers said that the Biden $1.9 trillion bill in 21 caused the inflation. So you are, of course, correct that this new bill, he says, should be helpful towards the inflation. But since you're crediting Summers in 2022, I assume you're crediting him in 2021, or the White House is not, with causing the very inflation that he now helped Joe Manchin try to address. I just want to note what an opportunity the Democrats missed with this Inflation Reduction Act uh, bill title. It should have been WHIP Inflation Now. Uh -huh. we, could, <laughs> we could have all worn buttons. I would have been great. Hey, before I do want to get to the midterms uh, and the impact of that list of uh, legislative accomplishments DT's touting. But first, let's look at the week ahead, because uh, we think uh, we think the what we know Schumer wants to get through the parliamentarian birdbath process. He wants to lay this bill down probably at some point on Wednesday, Thursday. And of course, any reconciliation bill requires a voterama. Uh, that is a marathon series of votes where senators can actually offer any amendment on any topic. Uh, it's only ended by uh, mutual exhaustion, uh, usually in the wee hours uh, of the next morning. Uh, we expect that to come on Friday and then the Senate gets out. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, if, if everything goes right, they uh, will complete action on the bill. You're right. Saturday morning before the sun comes up and then uh that you know the house is is out this week uh but i expect that the speaker will call them uh back to uh, uh pass reconciliation so they can get it down to the president as soon as possible there are a lot of hurdles to get over to get to that point but that is the goal well how about it I, D, uh, dt lists a, 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 a strong series of of legislative accomplishments i mean the the bruce as you often say the death of bipartisanship has been greatly exaggerated this has been uh, this has been a much more productive congress than i think a lot of people would have given it credit for but the the numbers are the numbers and the the president's approval rating which is probably the best mes metric uh for the macro direction uh, of an election uh, remains mired in the uh in the in the low 30s uh, in the 20s uh, in in some places are the the democrats having this list to run on is it going to matter or are folks going to vote their pocketbooks 
Well, uh, history says people vote their pocketbooks. I, I don't, uh, I'll start, I should step back. I start agreeing with DT with one important caveat. This is an incredibly productive session of Congress. I agree with that. Now, he has suggested all of this is thanks to the genius and inspired leadership of the president. And and I'm, I agree you should give the president credit at the same time. Other than the inflationary, according to Larry Summers' bill of 2021, and the recessionary, according to many bill of 2022 that he may have gotten mansion on, all of the rest of these are bipartisan accomplishments. So infrastructure, big win, 69 votes in the Senate. Gun for reform, big win, 65 votes in the Senate. Postal reform, 79 in the Senate. The China bill, 64 in the Senate. Um, I guess I'd suggest that, that uh, while... I do believe that Joe Biden deserves credit. I think Chuck Schumer deserves credit. So does Mitch McConnell, because in a Senate where you need at least 10 Republicans, uh, as a rule, anything that requires 60, the leader can block when he chooses to block. So all of that suggests to me that, A, credit where credit is due is it's a fundamentally bipartisan set of accomplishments. B, people vote their pocketbook. C, a recent poll said that fewer than a quarter of Americans knew they had passed, maybe fewer than 34%, that, that they had passed um, the infrastructure bill. So uh, my instincts are people are going to look at uh, at the price of food, at the price of gas, at the at the at uh, how their real wage is. And that means the House goes bye-bye for the Dems. The Senate, the Dems are raising money unbelievably well, give them a lot of credit politically where credit is due. And then, you know, because the uh, Trump uh, inspired a whole lot of first timer celebrity type candidates who keep making very unhelpful mistakes to their candidacies, um, the, uh, the the great hope for the Dems is not uh, Schumer and Biden and McConnell's legislative accomplishments. It's incompetence. What, where I think we stand here is that the agenda that the Democrats have passed here, some bills with Republican support, others without but it does give the Democrats something to run on. And Democrats inherently want to talk about policy. For better or worse, they believe in government and they believe in government that can help solve problems. That's a fundamental difference between the today's Republican Party and today's Democratic Party. Um, so they have something they can talk about on a campaign trail. And I think this record gives them a fighting chance to buck these historic trends um, to hold on to their majorities. Um, and I agree with you, the Senate is the place where there is a real growing optimism um, to uh, not just hang on to 50, but actually pick up some seats here. And I, uh, you know, I was, I was taking a look at some of these races here, which I just want to quickly um, run through. This is another big thing coming up this week, Dean, is we have a couple of big primary states that are, are going to vote, and we'll see which candidates are going to be running uh, you know, I, I look especially Arizona and Missouri, where there are, um, you know, very, very, very conservative Trump uh, MAGA candidates running that I think will be difficult to win in, in a midterm. In Arizona, uh, you have Blight uh, Masters, who's running, who's about, uh, what, 35 to 36 year old uh, young guy who is very uh, Trumpy. Uh, as it turns out, uh, as recently as uh, when he was in college, which was 2007, was writing on uh, CrossFit chat rooms, which I, I wasn't familiar that there were CrossFit chat rooms about. <laughs> where, where is he going with this, Bruce? I'll tell well, you exactly I don't know, where but, I'm going. But DT, anybody looking at you is knows that you're not familiar with CrossFit chat rooms. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently uh, Blake Masters is not familiar with the United States role in World War II, which he uh, wrote extensively uh, opposing U.S. involvement in World War II and spoke glowingly of Hermann Goering. Um, that is who the Republicans are going to nominate in Arizona. 
in Missouri. You, of course, you've got former Governor Greitens, who is literally uh, out hunting uh, uh, rhinos, Republicans in name only, in his commercials. Uh, we've got uh, Herschel Walker down in Georgia, who's making very confusing comments about dirty Chinese air somehow floating over the Pacific. And that is the uh, the thing that he seems to be most con- concerned about. Don't worry. He also claims to be a former FBI agent. So he's going to get uh, to the bottom of that, uh, I'm sure. Of course, he's not an FBI agent. That's a lie. Uh, and of course, my favorite of all is Dr. Oz, who I think um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman is running certainly the most entertaining campaign in the or in the country, pointing out uh, correctly that Dr. Oz is not from Pennsylvania. He's from New Jersey. He had both Snooky and Little Steven from the E Street Band pointing that out on the interwebs this week, which was fantastic. <laughs> the so cameos, look, this, the cameos are entertaining. That's they true. really are. So look, I am shocked to say that I have a real growing optimism that the Senate is not only going to be held, but they're going to pick up a number of seats. I think and, the Dems and, have been and, excellent. And, and I am glad. I am glad my friend has has brought up some of these more extreme candidates in Republican primaries uh, who uh, who are receiving support uh, from Democratic campaign committees. Now, I can't take credit for this observation, but, uh, you know, telling me that you're afraid that these people are a threat to the future of democracy, don't tell me you are afraid of forest fires and then walk into the woods and play with matches. They're burning the village to save the village. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it's just it, we're finally catching up with the dirty tricks that the Republicans have been playing for 20 years here. Look, this reminds me so a much Claire of Claire McCaskill trick. This is so much reminds me of races like Claire McCaskill, Mike Castle in Delaware, where Republicans totally flubbed taking over the Senate, expanding their majority because they nominate knuckleheads. And that is now in in past years, it was one or two. Now, I just went through five races where Republicans have nominated people who I don't think can win. There are, are certainly much more normal, not extreme Republicans who could win in these races here. But uh, look, the Republican Party is a wholly owned subsidiary of Donald Trump. Uh, you know what? That's a real risk to take here. And uh, I think it may cost them the majority in the Senate. Although that was an elegant dodging of the question. If you believe in democracy, don't you want the Republican nominees to be responsible Republicans? If you, believe no... in, if, you, if you believe in democracy, then you would support things like the January 6th commission, which there's no, no Republicans did. Not one Republican did. Peter, but, Meyer, know, it... Peter Meyer. Peter Meyer voted, uh, voted for the Trump impeachment Republican congressman in Michigan, and the DCCC is elevating his primary opponent, who's who I'm am sure my good friend David Thomas would describe as a Trump wacko, uh, elevating him in the primary against a Republican congressman who took a vote of conscience. Look, all's fair in love and campaigns here. And that's something that I think uh, uh, Mitch fair McConnell enough. has taught everybody here in D.C. Fair enough. Fair enough. But don't give me the sanctimonious. Uh, you know, the this is all this is all a huge threat to democracy. Again, I, I will remind you that. Not uh, no Republicans supported the January 6th committee uh, looking into uh, the threat against our democracy. And that is a very real threat to our democracy. Yeah, but just just to be clear, because no sitting Republicans supported something, you think therefore it makes sense to have people who actually were at January 6th and rioting. Let's give D triple C donor money, including your money, DT. A lot of that's your money. We hey, will see. That is let's, true. <laughs> we will see. Let's switch gears real quick. 
if let's assume this reconciliation bill goes through, that they get Senator Cinema on board, that the parliamentarian leaves most of these provisions intact, it's passed by the House, signed into law. Uh, we come back in the fall. Uh, you've got uh, the defense authorization bill uh, circulating out there. The Senate has now posted uh, their appropriations bills. It seems to me uh, this is really going to put a stopper on any more real cooperation and anything else of substance Congress may look to do is going to have to get pushed into the lame duck. But do we see more productivity? Uh, there's also privacy legislation and antitrust legislation circulating out there. What are we going to see in the uh, in the early fall headed into the midterms? But normally, I would say, uh, Dean, all we'd get is a, a you know sort of a CR and maybe a little bit of progress on the defense bill, the NDAA, uh, in September. Uh, but I don't know if I'm willing to say that now because we have had such an aggressively busy July with things coming to the floor and getting votes on uh, that uh, you know you might not normally suspect. So yeah, you listed a few of them right there. I also think that the marriage bill that that passed the House. Uh, is not going to get taken up this week. That could be in, uh, something that might be taken up in the fall. Of course, a uh, lame duck session, you, we should also count on a tax extenders bill coming up at some point. So I think there'll be a lot of discussion on that. You know, I would say enjoy your August uh, recess because I think September is going to be just as busy as July. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I, I I think marriage will happen. I think NDAA uh, may even happen before uh, before they before the elections. They're going to fund FY23, although uh, FY24 next year will be interesting. They won't pass uh, antitrust. I think it goes no further. Privacy, you could see getting one more step or so, but it's not going to become law. I agree with you on tax extenders, DT. A huge question, of course, as well, is whether the Senate flips or not. It may be our next discussion, which maybe we'll do towards the end of August. We can start uh, theorizing what uh, how Congress will spend its lame duck. Well, a lot to figure out, a lot to see. I would not have uh, would not have predicted all that has happened here in July. It's been uh, it's been a hell of a summer so far. Uh, we're going to take a little hiatus here for the August break, uh, and we will see you back on the far side uh, when we'll come back again to break down 2022 in 22 minutes. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, DT. Thank you, Dean. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's podcast brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.